if we take the racing analogy, you know, to, to go fast, actually, you need to have the best technique and, and be calculated and race cleanly Ooh, and well. This. If you're yes. rec- if you're reckless, you're gonna crash, right? Oh, so. I love be- I could not have said it better <laughs> myself. Time, weather, Welcome to the shakeup. I'm Alexis Gay, and I'm Brianne Kimmel. Each week, we explore the business decisions that dare to be different, and the leaders who are shaking up their industries. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's right. We're there, ready to talk business. Hey, throw us a little five star review when you have a second, right, Brianne? Yeah, please do. What do OnlyFans and scaling your business have in common? How does Spike Lee reach massive audiences? You know what? This sounds to me like it can only be one thing. Inbound 2021. That's right. Inbound, the fully immersive online experience, will feature speakers like Oprah, Spike Lee, Hassan Minaj, and more. And it's all happening October 12th to the 14th. Learn more when you register for a free starter pass at inbound.com slash register. You'll be automatically entered to win an all-access upgrade. And use our code SHAKEUP for $10 off any powerhouse pass. This week on The ShakeUp, we're talking AI, reducing friction in your product and a healthy dose of background checks. And that's because we're talking with Fast Company's 2021 World Changing Ideas Award winner himself, the co-founder and CEO of Checker, Daniel Giannis. Yes, we're so excited to talk to Dan. I can't wait. I want to first talk a little bit about background checks as an industry on the rise. We're seeing a lot of growth recently. One thing that I learned from, you know, doing some research on Checker was the fact that They actually have a collaborative component to their background check. I think historically, Hmm. you would send someone's information to an outside party. They would come back with a thumbs up or a thumbs down as far as are you cleared for this new role. With Checker, they're actually doing it in a way where the individuals themselves, the people that are actively seeking a new role, are able to comment and give context on maybe some of the issues that they've had come up previously. So it's kind of a more human approach. We love that. There's also some concerns being raised around the rise of technology risks and discrimination that impose a bit of a hindrance on this growing market. The idea that because we're talking about AI, because we're talking about an algorithm returning information here, there are legitimate concerns that this could result in bias. Yeah, this is something that I I am concerned about. I think that Oftentimes, you know, we're scanning resumes programmatically and we're looking for specific filters or data points to prove that someone's able to do the job, but we don't have someone on the other side that's actually ensuring that, you know, we're not skimming or passing over applications of potentially underrepresented groups or people that could step up and take on these roles. Yeah, I can get behind that point for sure. What are some of the other shifts that you're seeing or you think we might see as a result of this increased scrutiny? There's a lot of conflicting data when you look at even the number of jobs that are open today. We are starting to see that there's a mismatch in terms of the things that people want to work on and the things that people want to do and what sort of careers are in demand in their hometown or in their region. It was interesting. I had a a conversation on the My First Million podcast. Oh, we love them. Yeah, I I had talked about, for a lot of people, college is a waste of time. Like, it's a waste of money. Mm. You just throw yourself into student loan debt. And for a large percentage of Americans, you end up 
taking on a job after college that is not directly re related to what you studied. And so we had this back and forth dialogue. Actually, Sam uh, is still very much on board with college if you're going to maybe an Ivy League school and one where the network is really valuable, which is, I, I think that the challenge for modern trades, there isn't really a social network or a, you know a LinkedIn or a community for people that are studying some of these trades to really upskill and get better at their role. And you know, I hope that Checker starts to, you know, really think about, I know they have this big ambitious goal around creating new jobs. And so I'd love to understand, yeah. like, how do we get as many people as possible plugged into this new model where mm. you can have more upward mobility? That's interesting. I mean, that would seem like a bit of a shift away from their core competency of quick, accurate background checks to suddenly turn into more of like a community-based solution, don't you think? Or no? I think they can have some underlying community components or some education because um, I know they're building direct relationships with employees themselves. And so I'm curious to see what that looks like on the employee side. How is Checker in a position to you know, help you find the right role that could be a good fit? Or what are the next best steps that you can make to become uh, hireable? I love that idea that they could be very like education forward with the what's next if you do get rejected from a job for reasons that occur in your background check or something like that, where it's like, oh, got rejected? Like, here's what's next. Here's what you can try. Here's what you should do. That's very cool. That's a great flywheel effect. So speaking about like some of Checker's core competencies. Obviously, Checker's using AI-powered background checks to reduce friction. I want to hear a little bit from you, Brienne, about how companies can work to reduce friction in their product and customer experience. But first, let's talk a little bit about why reducing friction is so important. Yeah, what they've been able to do with the API is make it as easy as possible for companies to implement background checks. I've seen this a lot with other APIs. And if you're on the mm -hmm. startup side of things, it's very hard to hire engineers. Like we we hear this time and time again. Yep. Engineers in the Bay Area are expensive. A lot of companies are, you know, rethinking their hiring strategy and they're sourcing engineers globally. That is now even harder to find the right people at a global level. And so what Checker is doing is making it as easy as possible for someone to implement background checks as quickly as possible to not slow down um, their user experience. And they really have two customers. They have employers who need to implement background checks and hire as quickly as possible. They have you know, potential employees, and these are active job seekers and people that really rely on this to clear as quickly as possible. So they're not going without a paycheck or they don't have a gap in employment. I also want to touch on why reducing friction, I think, can be so important from a user experience side. I'd love your thoughts on this as well. My thought is, uh, you know, that people get bored, people get lazy, people get frustrated really fast now with technology. And by people, I mean me. I have no tolerance. If I try to put my phone number in and it gets rejected like two times, I'm out and I'll like probably never return. There's no hope. I know that they'll talk about that as well, where there was a market opportunity that emerged because there was Uber and Lyft and Instacart and all these great new you know, platforms that were enabling the next era of the gig economy. And so for them, they jumped on this opportunity in a space that was really technical, like both co-founders are technical founders, and so they were the right people to build it. Alexis, I want to get your thoughts on, I know that with Checker, you know, they talk a lot about AI, and I know that you have a lot of thoughts and, and experience really learning about, like, what are the 
What are some of the downfalls or what are some of the things to keep in mind when a company is implementing some of this AI, especially when it comes to bias or potential discrimination? Oh, yes. Let's zoom out a little bit and talk about bias in AI because it's an important thing that we talk about now. It's only going to become an increasingly large issue as we move towards more and more automated solutions. All the stuff we're talking about, in fact, all the tools and pieces of software we've ever talked about on this show have been designed and created and built by people. And I think that's important to remember when we think about like bias in AI, because in my opinion, you have to work to make sure that you are checking for and correcting biases that may appear. And one of the most obvious examples that I found in the last, uh, even the last few months was Twitter's photo cropping thing. So to quickly sum it up, essentially people realized that when Twitter auto-cropped your photo for you in order for it to fit in their newsfeed, it was biasing towards, if there were people in the photo, lighter-skinned people to be the focus of the crop in the photo. And people ran this experiment over and over and over and over again. I saw it in my feed countless times. It was interesting to me that a company like Twitter, a big (laughs) public company, could let an algorithm go out the door like that that contained such bias without correcting for something like that. It just went out the door, and then people were using it, and it was the people that discovered it, and then ironically used Twitter itself to bring it to the attention of everybody else, which I thought was very interesting. But I guess what I'm saying here is, when are we going to start to see companies really checking themselves on bias and AI to make sure in advance before something goes out the door, we're not seeing these types of things happen? Well, it's one of these things, investors talk about this a lot at, you know, what point do you have a human in the loop? You know, this is something where um, Mm. if you're relying on AI alone, there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be things where you need some sort of checks and balances internally. AI alone can't solve this problem. You need people actually on top of it, owning it, and it's a part of the company's accountability to the user base. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about, and this is something that gets lost a lot in the humans v. robots debate, you can have tech-facilitated solutions that increase efficiency and increase efficacy that don't necessarily replace or remove jobs that human beings need to do. Some things do need a human touch. I think as people, you know, we're, we're very quick to, when we hear automation, um, we're very quick to assume that means our roles will be replaced. The example that I use a lot in investing is like marketing automation as a category has been around for a very long time. However, we still have marketers. And so I think we see all of this technology where we're seeing these improvements where it's up-leveling people at work and improving productivity, but it's not replacing work. If anything, it's removing all the monotonous things that we don't want to work on and freeing us up to do more creative work broadly. Do you think that VCs are at risk? Of automation. Yeah, do you think your job is going to get taken over by a robot? I'll give a very honest answer here. What's interesting is that a lot of VCs are moving earlier and earlier stage, and many of them are yep. incubating startups. And yep. I think the reason for that is when you're a, a, a co-founder of a company, when you play a very active role from the earliest days, your contribution to the company is very clear. Do I think at some point we'll start to automate maybe large growth rounds and maybe the last round before the IPO? I think a lot of founders don't really care where that last round comes from because, quite frankly, like they already have product market fit. 
They're already gearing up for IPO. They already have a great executive team in place. I don't think the growth stage firms add that much value. Brianne, this is kind of shots fired. Did you just say growth stage firms don't really add much value? (laughs) You know we're recording this, right? I'm going to get canceled. (laughs) Wow. Always with the hot takes. I mean, so that's interesting. I was thinking about it from the reverse perspective. I was thinking, are venture capital funds going to go the way of the robo-advisor? Will you be feeding metrics about a prospective company into a piece of software that tells you whether it's a good bet? Maybe. I think we'll see that in, in some way, shape, or form. You know, I think we're starting to see that a little bit with platforms like Carta that are collecting all of the cap table information, they're collecting some metrics, like as they move in more yeah. and more into reporting, I think we will have a handful of platforms that have access to the right amount of information. And if they are actively investing or if they have their own fund, they'll be in a unique position to write the first check or to be an investor because they have that information. Just to take this away from tech for a second as we're talking about bias and AI, I wanted to bring up a couple points. Over the past several years, studies have shown that facial recognition services, um, healthcare systems, and even talking digital assistants can be biased against women, people of color, and other marginalized groups. The government is actually getting involved with this. In April of this year, the FTC warned against the sale of AI systems that were racially biased or could prevent individuals from receiving employment, housing, insurance, or other benefits. And then not even a week later... The EU unveiled draft regulations that could punish companies for offering such technology. Yeah, it's this starts to get a little bit concerning for me. Really? Yeah, specifically with the EU, I find that there are a lot of amazing engineers, specifically in France, that are working Mm -hmm. on AI. Like this is one of the largest AI hubs in the world, is in France. That's where I get a little bit concerned of like, are they potent is the government potentially coming in too quickly or not understanding Mm. the technology in ways where they're very quick to ban it as opposed to giving parameters and some, you know, assistance to tech companies on on ways in which they can operate without closing it down. Yeah, that's a big conversation. Totally. So those are other examples of that tech, like being out there in the wild in ways that could be potentially damaging. The other example that I wanted to ask if you saw uh, was also on Twitter, but it was actually Lemonade, the insurance company. Did you see their tweet thread about the, how they're using data in this revolutionary way, and then everyone got really upset, <laughs> and then they had to take the tweet down. Wait, what happened? I missed it. They tweeted out a thread that was, you know, kind of somewhat self-congratulatory about their technology that they use. They provided an example of how it, their AI, quote, carefully analyzes videos that it asks customers to send in for claims, looking for signs of fraud, which includes nonverbal cues. So basically... They're patting themselves on the back for saying, our AI is going to look at the videos that you're sending in and help determine whether you're telling the truth. And then everyone on Twitter was like, I'm sorry, you're proud of that? That seems extremely bad. (laughs) That seems like it could go down a very disturbing path. And it was so bad that Lemonade actually walked it back. And then they said, TLDR, we do not use, we're not trying to build AI that uses physical or personal features to deny claims. My point in bringing it up, like, yes, companies make mistakes. I don't I don't work at Lemonade. I don't know what the intention was behind sharing this data. I'm simply calling it out to say, wow, sometimes there's a big difference between what excites tech companies and what users are comfortable with. Yeah, this sounds like a situation where they have a very high IQ 
product team and internally everyone's very excited about it because it's increasing their efficiencies. However, it's coming at the cost of customers. And so they need someone in those meetings that's really going to say yeah. like, hey, let's ask our customers about this. Let's yep. like do some scenario planning and figure out what is the worst case scenario, what could happen here rather than quickly patting yourselves on the back because you, you built some cool tech. Yeah. Brian, that's really good advice. Your companies are so lucky to have you. That would be very reassuring advice to get. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, after the break, we're going to talk to Daniel. We're going to learn how he's reducing friction in the way companies run background checks. We're going to talk about how he made the transition from engineer to entrepreneur. And we're going to talk about auto racing. Because, you know, I always have said that I am very qualified to host a sports show. Wouldn't you agree? I'm talking to you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. (laughs) I I think we we need to put on some racing gear and get out there. (laughs) Let's hit the road, Brienne. I am so excited for today's guest. He's the co-founder and CEO of Checker, Daniel Giannis. Welcome to The Shake Up. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yay. Okay, so my first question actually has nothing to do with background checks, but does have to do with your background. You grew up in France, right? That's right. Born and raised in France. In France. Is it Le Mans? Le Mans. That's right. Le Mans? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's amazing. It. I hear that it's a city known for racing. Is that right? That's right. There's the famous 24 Le Mans race. Um, mm. It's been one of the most legendary races, endurance races uh, yeah, in the world. Um, so that's where I was born. And maybe that's that's why uh, I also am a racing fan and, and enjoy the autosports. Yes. Oh, very cool. How do, what is When you say you're a racing fan, is that you watch, you race yourself? I watch and I race myself uh, with my friend and co-founder, Jonathan, actually. Seriously? Oh my God, that's really cool. (laughs) And also terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very curious to hear a little bit more about uh, Checker and talk a little bit about that. In terms of background checks themselves, you know, traditional background checks, obviously they have their fair share of issues in, in terms of the slowness and they can often create a lot of friction and lag in certain processes they uh, don't tell the whole story about someone's life. For example, my background check would show off zero of my comedic talents. For you, what was it that made you want to redefine the way we use background checks by developing Checker? Uh, I think a lot of startups are started by employees or, or, or workers who are finding a business problem and then you know wanting to to solve it and build a better solution. So that's the classic story, and that's what happened to Jonathan, my founder, and I. Um, our last job before Checker were both API engineers in a small startup doing um, on-demand deliveries for retailers. And we were building the different parts of the apps and the software, very similar to you know, onboarding drivers on DoorDash or Uber, and then dispatching them to different jobs. And the background check was one of the main points of friction and efficiencies of, of hiring and onboarding drivers. So that's how I kind of fell into that space looked at the different solution, found that um, they were really, you know, slow and antiquated and, uh, you know, manual solutions, not not really great software in that space. 
You're saying you saw it firsthand being an engineer working on that problem, just how slow and complicated it was. That's right. Of course, like any startup story, uh, we had absolutely no experience in that space. We didn't even know really? what exactly was in the background check. No, we we really started from, from nothing. Um, of course, we discovered actually a lot more issues mm. with the background checks than the slowness and the efficiency, especially around what you said, like the background check doesn't tell the, the full story yeah. about someone. And so um, it can lead to, uh, if it's done poorly, to discrimination or fairness issues, blocking people from from opportunities. And so this, this is a big part of uh, what we're focused at Checker, um, building fairer background checks. And do you remember the moment when you decided this was the problem that you really wanted to work on? Yeah, yeah, I remember. So that was in 2013. At that time, I was tinkering with different other startups ideas. You know, we... With Jonathan, we were hacking on the weekends and evenings, different apps and 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 uh, and and different products. Um, but I remember when we just chose the background check space, we started to get a lot of uh, conviction and validation and even excitement from some of our network at the time. So Daniel, it's interesting. I hear a lot of startup founders have some kind of personal experience that flips this light on in their head that, oh, this is the thing that I have to solve. But it kind of sounds like you and your co-founder were tinkering and hacking and exploring. Did you always know that that was something that was motivating you to start something or to start something with Jonathan? Yes. So that's connected to my parents and me growing up. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. My, you know, my dad, as an immigrant parent, you know, always wanted me and my sister to to do the best possible and to have mm. the best opportunities. And he told me like, you know, you should, you should always try to be the, try to be, become the CEO, to become the, the, the leader. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think that really influenced me. That's weird. My parents never once said you should really try to become a comedian, Alexis. Not even one <laughs> time, if you can believe it. <laughs> Not even after I said, here's what's happening. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by those fine folks over at HubSpot. Managing conversations with prospects and customers and creating a remarkable experience can be tough. HubSpot wants to change that. That's why they created a CRM platform that makes it easy to align across teams. Oh, it's so much easier. With HubSpot's unified system of record, all teams can create a better customer experience without missing a beat. We love a unified system of record. We always say that. (laughs) You can install live chat on your website and allow sales or support to get in touch with prospects directly. Or send marketing emails on behalf of sales reps or customer success managers. Not to mention, it allows prospects to book meetings with reps without wasting time. Yeah, and best of all, teams can get access to all of a contact's history so they can have more informed conversations with prospects and customers and design a better overall experience. The result, all your customer people can align around the same goals, consistently great customer journeys that drive growth and lifetime loyalty. Learn more about how you can scale your company without scaling complexity at HubSpot.com. dig into a little bit more about background checks specifically. So you've got your idea, you know this is what you want to do, you know you've got the right co-founder. Background checks, there's a lot of friction involved, and there's a lot of contributors to that friction too, right? Government paperwork, outdated systems. Which stood out to you as the biggest problem area that you thought you could solve? 
Yeah, so we solved the most the number one friction we had as users of, of background checks in our last job um, at that startup that, that was called Delive, doing deliveries. We couldn't find an API to request background checks and retrieve the results, you know, sure. in a seamless way, because we actually were trying to have the background check step being in the in the app for the drivers. So that on a driver can just click sign up. I want to get this job. Here is my information, and 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 I want to check a few boxes to to agree to the background check, and so that you can kickstart the process automatically. That's what we couldn't solve. And then I had early friends in my network who were early employees at DoorDash and other companies, and uh, I also we also went through Y Combinator, so we met other founders. Oh, you did. When was that? So that was uh, at the very beginning. So we. We started working on Checker in February of 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, we incorporated the company in March. We quit our previous job to work on it full time in May, and we got in one combinator in June of 2014. So pretty early on in the company's life cycle. But Y Combinator definitely helped us find early customers because it was also the beginning of DoorDash, Instacarts who of course are, are massive companies today. Um, those were some of our very early customers. And they had the same pain points we had at Delive. They also wanted an API to streamline that step in their dr- worker driver onboarding. Cool. Why are background checks such a pain? Like assuming you could get them into an API, which obviously you've now done successfully, why are background checks such a difficult process in general? There's a lot, you know, um, we can only see the tip of the iceberg, but under the under the, the surface, there's a lot and lot of complexity. In the US, the criminal data, um, you know, the criminal records, the information from the courthouses is very fragmented because you have thousands of courthouses in the US um, at the municipal, county, state, and federal level. So there still are a lot of things on paper. Behind the scenes at Checker, are you putting pressure on cities and states and at the federal level to make to bring a lot of this information online? Or Because it feels like that would be a bottleneck for the business is you need access to as much information as possible. Yes, that's right. Um, we are starting not to put pressure, but to try to, to partner and to help those small governments. Uh, many times they're understaffed, you know, it's, it's hard. They have thousands and thousands of cases. They don't have large budgets, so they have bottlenecks on their side. So we're, we're just trying to, to start investing into government relations and, and trying to see if we can fund technology or help them you know, move to more efficient processes and, and, and really leverage technology to make their life easier, which will, in result, help uh, the entire economy, right? Because it allows businesses yes. to hire you know, they are constituents of that specific county faster to get jobs and employment, which is important. Wow, Daniel, a lot of founders like to say that they're really just at the end of the day making the world a better place. But, you know, if you pull that off, you really would be making at least the U.S. a better place. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're trying. There's there's a lot of work to do. To me, where we can really make the world a better place, it's, it's really about fair chance hiring and helping, like you mentioned, there's one in three Americans who have a criminal record. That's a huge statistics, right? Yeah. And you have 2.5 million people in prison at any point in time, which is also a huge statistics. The US has the highest incarceration rate in the world. So that's where I think we can make the biggest change is to help the millions, the tens of millions of people with criminal records 
yeah. you know, improve their story on, you know, on their background and allow them to get better job and, and work opportunities who are the foundation of, of having a better normal life with a family and, and growth. Yeah. I've seen background checks characterized in, by some as problematic. Is that something that you've come up against? Yeah, definitely. So I think uh, I agree that they can be problematic if used in the wrong way and if they're used as a tool to block people from job opportunities. And the wrong way of using them is to take a binary approach and basically say, if you have nothing, you know, I move forward with you as a candidate. Sure, sure. But if there's a bunch of flags, I'm going to you know, just save time and, you know, throw away that resume out of, out of the pile. That's how, unfortunately, most employers we talk to were using background checks. And I don't think we should blame them for that because it's, you know, it's very busy and hard to hire people. And if you're given a very complex, you know, list of criminal records and you don't know how to interpret them, you don't really understand the laws and regulations, it's very hard for a small business or a busy HR team to, to have a balanced approach. So that became our mission at Checker. Hmm. We said, you know, background checks are universal. 90 plus percent of businesses use them. They do provide value in terms of trust and safety for platforms. But if they're used wrongly and with the current state, it can also lead to bias, unfairness, potential discrimination. So we said, we're going to take something that's valuable to customers and make it more transparent, more fair, more of a, a balanced tool to, you know, add information, but not disqualify anyone automatically. So let's talk about that a little bit. Places like the body shop, they've moved towards what's referred to as more of an open hiring first come first serve basis, which removes a lot of the need for background checks. Do you think something like that approach is the quote right direction that things should ultimately head? I mean, I think open hiring definitely, you know, is as good intent. It's about you know, not rejecting anyone based on their background. I'm, I'm not sure it's the best approach we've, we've looked. Actually, humans are inherently biased. So we have to all accept that we are biased. Um, and, and just not doing a background check does not remove that bias, unfortunately. And I, I think that the, the best and fair way to, to help, you know, improve trust and safety and quality of talent is to do a background check we will be transparent on the results with you. So you get an opportunity to see the verifications and to influence it, which we do at Checker in our products. We actually let the consumers and the job applicants write their own personal story next to their background so that they can, you know, share the full story. Because in the end, you know, we, 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 we work with a lot of people who have criminal records and who have, you know, some, some crimes they've done in the past and mistakes. And it's a very uncomfortable thing. It's hard for people to, you know, when is the right time to share my background and to share my story? How is it going to be perceived by my colleagues, by my employer? So we believe that the healthiest and best process is to make it an open conversation earlier on. It creates a lot more trust in the relationship. This is a really important time in the labor market. There are over 9.2 million job openings in, you know, this May alone. And Specifically for many restaurants, small businesses, you know, hourly um, employers are really desperately trying to hire. Have you seen a shift in a company's willingness to accept candidates that maybe have a criminal record or that have, 
you know, inputted some of these like additional context on, you know, why they have had a record or something come up over time. Yes, 100%. It is the biggest opportunity ever right now. And so today is really the, the most motivation, I would say, for employers to be more open in the background check criteria and how they, they deal and treat with uh, criminal records. We are working with many customers and, and employers um, to make those changes. Um, overall, yes, the, there is a lot more willingness today to be to be more open and to consider hiring people with uh, criminal records. I think a stat was you know seventy to eighty percent of uh, of, of um, employees and, and businesses are open to it, which is really nice yeah. improvement over the last few years. I think the number one bottleneck remains. Uh, businesses want to do it, but um, they don't know how to do it because it's not it's not easy. How do you have that conversation with uh, with workers and with candidates early on? How do you um, you know have a good decisioning in proce- process in terms of what type of crimes um, can be a disqualifier and which ones are not, and how do you evaluate those? And then how do you make your once you hire the person, how do you actually make it safe and confidential for them, um, but also, you know, comfortable and and, and safe um, in terms of uh, the perception from all of the other workers in the company. It's a balance because you don't want to say, welcome, Joe. You know, Joe has been in prison and has had a murder charge when he was 18 and now has had a great Mm -hmm. life. Like that can be, you know, um, not good for, for the employee who wants, you know, some confidentiality and have the time to tell the story mm. on their own terms, and it can also potentially be be, be scary for the wrong reasons uh, for the other colleagues. So totally. definitely not an easy thing to put in place. But uh, at Checker, we've iterated on it, and now we're we're publishing a lot of guides and uh, and playbooks for HR teams and legal teams on how to actually implement fair chance hiring in their business. That's great. So you can really start to lead the way for companies that are interested in exploring that path. In terms of trade-offs, I'm very curious to hear a little bit about the trade-off that it sounds like you had to make in terms of speed and a frictionless experience versus maybe accuracy or completeness. And I know you're a racing fan, so I know you're a fan of speed. But how did you think about that balance between let's get this done as fast as possible versus let's make sure we have the full most accurate picture for each candidate? Yes, um, I'm a fan of speed, but I'm also a fan of uh, quality and excellence. Because um, <laughs> if, if we take the racing analogy, you know, to, to go fast, actually, you need to have the best technique and, and be calculated and race cleanly Ooh, I and love well. This. If you're, yes. rec- if you're reckless, you're going to crash, right? Oh, so. I, lo- be- I could not have said it better <laughs> myself. It was gorgeous. Have you ever had to make a hard decision as it relates to that trade-off? I mean, every day I would say it's a tension. It's the tension between mm. speed and action and balancing you know, risk and, and quality and, and being thoughtful. But there's good ways to deal with it, right? Like there are many decisions where speed is fine because they are reversible. So... Uh, if we made the wrong decision, hmm. we can quickly pivot and, and go from A to B. Um, but there are some decisions that have high stakes and are maybe not reversible. Um, when it comes to background checks, definitely the background check is a, is a very important and sensitive information and reports. Someone's job and income and employment is dependent on that. So we, we really take uh, it very seriously and it's a huge responsibility we have as a background check company. Something that Brianne and I have been really excited to ask you about is 
what you're talking about right now, which is the impact that your machine learning, the algorithm, the AI can have on the decisions that are ultimately made on behalf of these employers. And so let's talk a little bit about bias in AI. It's something that I've certainly seen a lot of headlines on, and there are a lot of ways in which I think AI can be really helpful and can help create opportunities. But something we've seen a lot in the last, I think, 12 to 18 months especially, is the ways in which there can be bias written into the code of some of these algorithms. And so I'm curious, how have you approached that topic internally at Checker? Is it something you talk about? That's definitely something we we talk about and, and we have debates. AI is a very large space and there's hundreds and hundreds of ways of, of using AI to solve different problems. As of today, we, we don't use AI to make predictions. Um, and so we don't use AI to recommend if people will be hired or not. That, that you know, if, if we were to do that, there's a high risk of bias because, yeah. you know, the, 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 the AI can learn that, you know, based on the wrong data points, potentially someone's identity, age, income, race, background, you know, might, mm-hmm. might, you know, be better fit for a job or not, which can accelerate and reinforce biases and, and, and continue the inequalities, for example, that are happening. So do you avoid not having AI involved in that recommendation process by not making recommendations at all? Or do you have a human team that makes recommendations to the companies that use the service? Yeah. So as of right now, we don't make recommendations at all. It's totally up to the company. So so that helps a lot. Um, I mean, it's a very, you know, doing an employment decision is a very important decision. And right now we don't involve AI into making recommendations for that. What we do use AI for is to improve accuracy. Um, so we, we use AI to make sure that we're not confusing um, one John Smith with another John Smith with the same date of birth, because that's a common name. So the AI can be very, very sophisticated and detect like, hey, I found that one of the addresses in the past was not the same one. So it looks like this is a different John Smith. That's something that maybe a human would have overlooked. So that's one example. Another example is I shared that the criminal records in the US don't have a standard. They're called differently yeah. in every single jurisdiction. So oh you have thousands of ways of saying DUI or thousands of ways of saying you know sexual assault everywhere. So we use AI. AI is very good at learning. So we can label millions of criminal records, and then we can use AI to automatically uh, identify the type of crime it is, um, which also increase accuracy. One thing that has really struck me is, as a team, you're setting really big, lofty goals. How did you come up with this calculus, and what conversation happened, happened internally that led to this goal of 3 million jobs? Yeah, so that is our mission goal. So our mission at Checker is, is to build a fair future by designing technology to create opportunities for people and by um, helping our customers put in place more open background check rules. Um, we give them the software to to actually be able to decide, hey, I am uh, open to hiring people with uh, marijuana violations or marijuana convictions or DUIs if they're not driving on the job that's not relevant. So by helping our customers iterating on their rules that actually allows thousands and thousands of workers who have you know those criminal records to um, to be accepted and to move forward in the process and since since it's in the software we can track you know every single one of them every positive impact every positive decision and so that's how we keep our, ourselves accountable 
for actually creating opportunities for people and helping them get jobs, even if you know they, they have a, a something in the background. We work with some of the largest employers in the world, uh, which is really exciting. And so for them, making a few changes on their hiring criteria can impact tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of jobs. And uh, last year, we, with, our, with the help of our customers, we were able to help 1.5 million people be accepted and move forward in their job application and have zero impact from the background check. Um, and so this year, our goal is actually 3 million. To, it's a stretch goal. We always set stretch goals to yeah. force ourselves to, to be more innovative and creative. But that is our mission goal for this year. And it's extremely motivating for, for all of us and, and for our customers who are joining that journey. You mentioned that 3 million is a stretch goal. And I want to ask you a little bit about that because, you know, that's a big number. That's a lot of people. When you see that, you mentioned it was motivating. Are you ever, do you ever wake up and just think like, oh, oh, we can't, we can't do it. There's no way we're going to be able to do it. No, that's not my style. Never? <laughs> Never. I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist and I think everything is possible if we, if we really work hard for it. Um, of course, we, we want to be realistic and look at, sure. you know, what is possible, but um no, I mean, I think in a startup, you have to 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 think big and be bold and and re, be, re, be really ambitious. And I, I know we can. I mean, we at Checker, we do over 30 million background checks a year. So 3 million is about 10% of our volume. Um, we, we are on track to do 2.5 million. We don't know exactly how we're going to do 3 million. And that's actually a great problem for our teams and ourselves to solve. Yeah. Well, you have like five more months. Right, roughly, you know, you have a, almost half a year to figure that out to get another five hundred thousand on the roadmap. Is that something that you all talk about internally a lot? Like, where are these last half a million going to come from? Yes, our, our mission impact and the number of, of people we help is one of our seven company KPIs, so really one of our top metrics, um, and we. We review those on a monthly basis. For the three million, I mean, you've mentioned Uber and a lot of the gig economy um, customers. What are some other examples of customers that are factored into this three million that you'd love to work with? We have uh, over twenty thousand customers um, across all industries, from small businesses, tech, non-tech, um, and and very large companies. Um, we are actually working with that uh, with a lot of great customers on Fair Chance. It's across the board. There are benefits for. All the industries, of course, you mentioned uh, um, all of the restaurants and all of the industry, hospitality who needs to hire millions of people. But even, you know, in tech, I think in tech, we can do much better at creating opportunities for underserved communities and really improving diversity in tech. Totally. Brian, that was a great question. That was like asking Daniel, like, shoot your shot at your perfect customer. <laughs> <laughs> I know, contact checker if you're looking for background checks. You got to put it out into the universe, right? Anything's possible. We just learned that we're optimists here. So I'm going to put one more thing out into the universe. When you hit the 3 million job applications and you hit that goal, can we all go racing? I would love <gasps> I would love to go racing. I think this sounds oh my God. so fun. I'm down. Yeah. I'm scared, do but it. I'm down. <laughs> We, we can do some uh, go-karting. It's a lot of fun and it's it's great. That I can do. Do you get helmets? Do you get a helmet on the go-kart? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have one asset. It is my brain. It needs to be protected. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, well, you know, I'm curious. This is uh, our last question for you here. Trekker is obviously a very successful company. And in growing this business, you know, as a leader, 
What do you think you've learned most about yourself in the process? Yeah, it's it's been an incredible learning experience for me personally. Um, I I learned a lot. I think uh, in the early days, you know, before starting Checker, I was a uh, an individual contributor. I was an engineer. Yeah. I've never managed people. I've never worked on the other, you know, business functions like yeah. customer facing or sales. Um, so it's been a very humbling journey. I think first I had to better understand myself, my personality, you know, my strength, my weaknesses, uh, be more vulnerable as well of all of the things I have to improve as a leader and and um, and change some of my my traits. I really had to move from being an engineer to to being you know a manager and and a business person business leader and and now i feel like my role at this scale is more i'm i'm more external facing it's more like being a cheerleader and a teacher at the same time which is a very different job than than what i started with um but i love it because it's always stretching you and challenging which is good i think that that's how you you improve as a person in your work life, but also in your personal life, I think it's also being helpful on my personal life um, to to be to 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 strive to become a better a better person, better friend, better family member, etc. Is that something that you're also you also look for when you're hiring now as well? Is that part of the checker culture? Yeah, very much. So one of our core values is uh, humility, and. Um, that, that I think is, is very important and every time we compromise it and we hire people who are not very humble and are it's hard for them to be vulnerable or or have some ego, um, it, it really does not align with our company and, and it does not reflect that that growth mindset and, and that humility. So it's also hard because as the CEO, you also want to be, you know, confident and bold and um, and, and opinionated and passionate, which which I think I am. Uh, but at the same time, I think if you want to be a, a modern CEO, you have to you have to be humble. You have to care about people first. Um, you you have to be vulnerable. Uh, I think the the old generation of CEOs are very you know top down, and you can see like Steve Jobs or even Jeff yeah. Bezos and others, um, and mostly leading by fear and by telling people what to do. Uh, I don't yes. think that's the I don't think that's the right model for the future. No, it feels like a very old model. Yeah. Okay, you know, I I lied to you. I said that that was the last question. I actually have one last question, which is who wins more races, you or your co-founder? It's it's my co-founder, it's Jonathan. Really? Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> are you a good loser? You are do you uh, exercise humility when you lose the races? Definitely exercise the humility and uh no, I'm proud of him. He's he's awesome and uh He's still one second faster than me on most tracks, so I'm, 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 I'm working hard to catch up to him. Good. Well, if you want to learn more about Checker, I strongly encourage you to. Daniel, where can people learn more about the company? Yes, on, on Checker.com, um, on social media, you know, follow us on, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, we love to share what we do in the company for our mission with our customers and partners. Um, so yeah, we're excited to connect with uh, with more people. Fantastic. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on The Shake Up today. Brianna and I had a fabulous time talking to you. Thank you, it was super fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Hey, Brianna, are you ready to do that thing we practiced? Oh my gosh, is it time? I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe and leave us a review. review. Pretty good. <laughs> 
Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. Production support comes from Lauren Schild. Our engineer is William Lowe, with research from Corey Broccolini. And special thanks to Kyle Denhoff and Lisa Toner. We have some amazing guests coming up this season that you won't want to miss. See you next time.